Alternative History Show. I am Richard Paulsford, stand-up comedian and rather unprofessional historian. In this show we will explore some of the historical people associated with and events which happened in history on this very date, which is 24th of July. That's before we delve into some of the history of the town where today's show is taking place. Yes, we are some 27 miles southwest of London on the A3 Trunk Road in subtropical Guildford. We are performing today in the Guildford Fringe Festival, which is run by a professional theatre and events company, whose ethos is to promote stripped-back theatre, without all the bells and whistles which sometimes come with the West End and major regional theatre productions. And we're here thanks to the festival's stated aim of bringing quirky events to Guildford. So our venue is the town's historical star inn, not only a 16th century pub, but also Guildford's longest-running live music venue, The Stranglers, performed their first ever gig here. Right, first factoid of the night. So, <laughs> this show is being recorded for the It Just So Happened podcast, but we also have a live audience who we've already heard in the background here with us, who'll be watching to see what the panel can strangle the life out of tonight. So, please welcome to the stage, Sam Stay! So Sam, first of all, yes. is a local actor who's performed both on stage and in short films and also performs stand-up comedy on the London comedy circuit. Over to you, Sam. Thank you very much. Um, start straight away with, with what I've got, with what I've got for you today. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Hello, everyone. How are you? Uh, silly question. Have we got any history fanatics in this evening? Raise your hand if you're history fan. You're going to love this one then, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I thought, uh, well, uh, upon like doing research about this date is quite a big day. Looking back through some of the big events in history, 24th of July seems like the day to get things done. Um, so I thought, why well, just focus on one thing when there are just so many things? You know, what what kind of audience would you be coming here to expect me to come up on stage and perform? Just one fact about I'm just filling time. So just, <laughs> I've only got one. Small fact. On this day in uh, 2013, um, a high-speed train in Spain derailed from the track on its way to Madrid, I think. Uh, it was going 120 miles an hour in a 50 mile an hour zone, and it killed 78 people. Yeah, 78. And the one thing I can take away from that high-speed train, 120 miles an hour, 50 mile an hour zone is... I thought that number would have been higher. Just <laughs> <laughs> think about it. Yeah. Sp yeah. Sp yeah. yeah. Spain has a population of nearly 47 million. The high-speed train on its way to Madrid, huge city in Spain, 120 miles an hour, 50 mile an hour limit, only 78 people killed. I chalked that up as 
a win. <laughs> However, could you imagine if that happened in 2019 on the 5.35 train from London Waterloo through to Guildford? That number's hitting the 300s at least. I mean, have you ever seen a, a train in the UK going at 120 miles an hour? <laughs> Especially one, one from Waterloo to Guildford, you'd be lucky if it turned up or if it was on time. Um, but yeah, this, this day, the 24th of July, just seemed like it, it was a good day to get treason done and, and battles and sieges. Uh, it, well, why not? I mean, it's summer, the kids are off school, the weather's good. Um, but there was one date that kept cropping up to me, one date that just kept coming back, calling out for me to, to bring forward to you, um, a very special date. It was the 24th of July, 1969, and the day was when Jennifer Lopez was born. Yes, yes, Jennifer Lopez. Hispanic Latino pop sensation. And I told a friend, I said, I'm going to put that in tonight. And they said, you're mad. But what has Jennifer Lopez got to do with history? What, what has Jennifer Lopez brought to us? What has Jennifer Lopez ever done for history? Well, there's a man down there that's nodding, so he knows exactly what she's And I said, you're mad for saying that, because Jennifer Lopez taught a generation of people a very important message. Because he said, it doesn't matter about what you've got, or where you're going, or how much money you have, what possessions you've bought, just remember where you came from, yeah? Because as Jen said, don't be fooled by the rocks that I've got. Because <laughs> I'm still, I'm still Jenny, Jenny from the block. Call and response, there we go. Light is out, I'm still Jenny from the block. I used to have a little, but now I have a lot. Yeah, exactly. We're all joining in now. It's like, God, I am. I should have bought my guitar. But no matter where I go, I know where I came from. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? That's what history is all about. July 24th, 1969, Jennifer Lopez was born to tell people that it's about where you came from. That's what history is. You know, where we've been. What led us up to this point now. And we're making history here. Madam, me and you, I'm looking at you. We're making history right now. And it's on Twitter, it's on Instagram, it's on Facebook, it's on the laptop. <laughs> it's, um, it's there. Trust me, it's there. We're making history. And, and in 2,000 years, some other bunch of idiots on stage will be telling their audience a very vaguely similar thing about history. That it's about where you came from. So that is the message that Jennifer Lopez brought to us and can you tell I'm trying to keep <laughs> filling that up Jennifer Lopez born on July and that's what it is isn't it like you're, we're making history because on the, on, you'll remember this madam I'm, I'm focusing all at you you're getting it all tonight because you're in my eye line you'll remember you will look at me when I'm talking when I'm being dynamic <laughs> you'll remember this day July 24th 2019 on possibly the hottest week of the millennia you decided to sit in the dark room at the back of a pub to listen to me tell you that Jennifer Lopez said it's about where you came from. So remember that. <laughs> All right. And that's it. Jennifer Lopez was born 1969 on this day. And still to this day, if you haven't seen any of her, if you don't know who she is, look her up online. Put in Jennifer Lopez online. She, and she's got some cracking pictures on there. Uh, I've got some. I've got some websites I can show you if you want to go and check out Jennifer. Lopez. So see me after out in the in the pub. So yeah, Jennifer Lopez.
Thank you, Sam Stone. No problem at all. Thank you. No, thank you for having us. <laughs> Only three years previous to that, 24th of July 1966, Michael Pelkey and Brian Schubert, two skydivers from Barstow in California, made what is considered to be the very first base jump. BASE is an acronym for Buildings, Antennae, Spans and Earth, the four types of fixed objects from which idiots, sorry, I mean daredevils, jump, only breaking their fall by releasing a parachute very quickly. Pelkey and Schubert both leapt off the cliff of El Capitan in the Yosemite National Park. It's 975 metres high, the second highest unbroken cliff anywhere in the world. Now, Pelkey said, it was more of a lark than a compulsion. El Capitan was obviously jumpable. If we hadn't got to it first, someone else inevitably would have. There's only one blurry photo of the events. Both of their girlfriends were at the bottom of the Yosemite Valley, waiting to take photographs, but it took Pelkey and Schubert a lot longer than they expected to hike to the top of El Capitan, over eight hours. And by the time they reached the top, both girlfriends had given up. <laughs> so Pelkey and Schubert both received broken bones from the jump. Schubert broke both his legs. Base jumping has now been banned from El Cap. Although the sport of base jumping only officially began 12 years later, there was already a long history of similar attempts at flight. So in 1912, the Taylor Franz Reichelt jumped from the first deck of the Eiffel Tower to test his new invention, the parachute coat. He plummeted to the ground and died. In 1972, Rick Sylvester skied off the top of El Capitan and parachuted safely to Earth. And in 1975, Owen J. Quinn parachuted off the South Tower of the World Trade Centre to draw attention to the plight of the unemployed. Base jumping is legal for just six hours every year at the 275 metre tall New River Gorge Bridge in Fayetteville, West Virginia. Now, both Pelkey and Schubert jumped off on the 15th of October 2006, a full 40 years after jumping off El Capitan in what was only Pelkey's third ever base jump. It was Schubert's second and last. He died after taking too long to open his parachute. Idiots or daredevils. Well, make up your own mind. So our second guest is Fiona Spreadborough. Now Fiona was actually born in Guildford. Uh, she's an actor. Oh, good. Yeah, excellent. Uh, local support. <laughs> uh, she's an actor and performing a show in the Camden Fringe next month, and it's called Adventures of a TripAdvisor Seaside Guest Housekeeper. And that's going to be at the Water Rats on the 18th of August, if you can make it. Over to you, Fiona. Thank you, thank you. Um, well, actually, because I was um, born and raised in Guildford till I was 15, and um, I come from a lovely estate called Belfields, um, I, I wanted to talk about something related to that. And I, it turns out, actually, that Emily Thornbury grew up in Belfields Estate. But unfortunately... She was born on July the 27th. So unless her mum went into labour today on the 24th and had a really long labour, um, I wasn't allowed to talk about her. So um, I got Peter Sellers to talk about and I thought, oh, this is going to be lovely because I, I grew up and, you know, like a lot of us, we watched the Pink Panther films, etc., etc., and we laughed at a lot of the things he'd done and, the, you know, the recordings he made with Sophie Loren and all the characters. Um, but when I started actually looking into his life, because he actually died on this day, July the 24th in 1980, I realised how depressing his life was, <laughs> what a horrible person he was, 
but um, he, he abused drugs, um, done far too much alcohol, and um, got through far too many wives. He was born in Portsmouth, which is not always a great start, but my, my auntie Doris lived in Portsmouth as well, so I can always tell you there's lots of nice sides to it. And um, so he was born in Portsmouth, and I thought, well, that's good, you know, someone actually comes out of somewhere and, you know, rises up to fame and fortune from unknown areas. But then I realised also that Arnold Schwarzenegger lived quite a lot of his younger life in Portsmouth. So Peter Sellers and Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, they, you know, he wasn't alone, was he? And then also someone that he could have been related to, that I think he took a lot of his characterisations from, was a lovely lady called Pompey Lil. Now, Pompey Lil, she had one eye, no teeth, and, and was known as, as a lady of the night. But I think actually she gave a lot of inspiration to Peter Sellers. So we have to thank Pompey Lil for that. So thank you, Pompey Lil, because through you, we got lovely Peter. And um, his family... <laughs> somehow, somehow, you know, we've got to link it somehow. His, his... <laughs> he knows all about Peter, this one, far more than me. Um, so his family actually were all entertainers and he actually made his stage debut at two weeks old and he played the part of the pink baby which he was only he was anyway because he was two weeks old but even at that age you couldn't mention any different colors to him because he hated purple he hated green so he couldn't be the green baby it couldn't have been the purple panther nothing like that because you mentioned those colors to him and he flew off into a rage and in fact he was actually gonna to, he actually walked off film sets when he, he met people or you know anyone introduced him to those colours. So he could never have met Pink, uh, Prince or listened to any of his records, basically. <laughs> he got through four wives and he'd made a fortune, he'd got loads of He lived in the Dorchester, but he'd got houses all over the world and he'd got yachts and he'd got horses and he'd got, you name it, he'd got it. But he didn't want to give it to Lynn Fredericks, even though that was his fourth wife. On his deathbed, he was trying to change his will. And what is kind of sad, but, you know, hopefully look back, in, back on it now, they would find it funny, is that his children only got £800 each. So even on his deathbed, when he tried to change his will, he couldn't. So that's another Peter Sellers thing that, you know, was not very nice. Brick Eckland, who he married here in Guildford in 1964, here at the registry office. Um, what was wonderful, she was his third wife, so she come before Lynn Fredericks, so who somehow she butted in and overtook her. I don't know how that I don't know how that happened anyway, but it did. But when he married Brit Eckland, actually, he was absolutely, you know, fixated by her, so much so that all his jealousy and his rage kind of rose up in him because he was quite older than her he tried to do things you know to make their love life you know hot and raucous basically he got on what's the animal nitrate which um we know as poppers so unfortunately again for peter sellers i'd like to find it you know something funny to say but with the poppers instead of having a you know uh, a very good come. He nearly had a very good go because he had three heart attacks, eight heart attacks in three hours. Yeah, and then he went on to have another 13 heart attacks. So I, I must say, even though he died, uh, you know, relatively young age, 55, in fact, and he had many heart attacks, but in one way or the other, his heart was quite strong, wasn't it? I mean, he had loads of heart attacks. Everywhere, everywhere you went, they said, oh, here comes Peter, watch out, he'd probably have a heart attack in a minute. You know, but he, he kept going anyway. 
anyway, there's quite a lot more about Peter Sellers, but if you want to investigate it, um, you know, perhaps cry your eyes out, then, um, then I'll leave it up to you. But let's just say he'd done the Pink Panther films, and uh, we all loved him for that. Fairness Petra, thank you very much. So it's the 24th of July 1969 when Apollo 11 landed in the Pacific Ocean. Now this was its splashdown, landing a spacecraft by parachute in a body of water used by American manned spacecraft up until when the space shuttle was used. Now the impact could still be quite violent, but the ocean water was meant to cushion the spacecraft enough to obviate the need for a braking rocket to slow the final descent, which is what the Russians and the Chinese had to do because theirs would, would turn over land. As the astronauts of Apollo 11 became the first humans to have physical contact with an alien world, the surface of the moon, come on, you know they, they really did, uh, there was a possibility, however unlikely, that the astronauts could bring some alien life form contagions back with them to the Earth. So the astronauts were given special biological isolation garments to wear, and the outside of their suits were scrubbed before the men were then hoisted aboard the ship, the USS Hornet and put inside a mobile quarantine facility, or MQF. And from inside the MQF they could see and communicate with President Nixon, who personally welcomed them back to Earth aboard the recovery ship. Now the MQF was no more than a converted airstream travel trailer, about 11 metres long. It was designed to hold six people for 10 days, and it had a lounge, toilets, and some sleeping facilities, and a microwave oven, which was a big thing at the time. Uh, once the aircraft carrier reached port, the MQF was then flown to Houston, and the crew serves another 21 days of quarantine. Now, in Buzz Aldrin's autobiography, No Dream is Too High, he said the unit was comfortable, but there wasn't a lot to do, and there was nowhere to go, and we got bored in a hurry. However, following Apollo 14, the quarantine requirement was axed. It was proven at that point that the moon was sterile, and so these facilities were actually unnecessary. Uh, they'd obviously never seen the clangers. <laughs> So our third guest is uh, Danny Buckler. He's a comedian who's performed all over the world in comedy clubs and on board some of the world's most prestigious cruise lines. After making his TV debut with Channel 4's Danny Does Tricks, he toured with Victoria Wood and was part of the acclaimed London West End show Victoria Wood and Friends. This is all off the internet, so I hope it's true. Oh, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. He didn't tell me this personally. No, it's uh, true. And the final fact I've got here is he's hosted the BBC One Saturday night primetime show The Secrets of Magic. I did. So, over to Danny. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody. Hello. That was a nice introduction. <laughs> Are you well? Yeah. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not your guy when it comes to history. So for anything I say, don't check it, because I could be wrong. Because <laughs> like, all I know about July 24th is I should be at home right now. Funnily enough, sharing Peter Sellers' passion for Amor Nightmare. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> oh, it's magnificent. But it turns out that some showbiz stuff did happen today. Like, this is the day, the 24th of July is the day that Martin and Lewis split up. Right, yes, because... <laughs> Look, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis were the most successful double act in history, by any measure. Seriously, financial, in terms of their reach, in terms of their fan base. They stopped the traffic in Times Square. But no one knows about this because they just, they just missed film. So there's no film of this act anywhere. It doesn't exist. It's all anecdotal. But it's true. And this was the day that they split up because um, they didn't get on at all. And I'm fascinated by Jerry Lewis because I'm, I'm fascinated by showbiz bastards. And, and he really was one. I'm also fascinated by Peter Sellers. We were having this chat earlier. Who, by the way, I share a birthday with? 
the love of amyl nitrate. So, um, and the love of Britectin, too. I did have a luxury one, so anyway, that's another story that's not relevant to right now. So, they were really successful. So, basically, Jerry Lewis was a right git. Um, and an attention-seeking, attention-stealing man. He would fake stomach cramps and stuff to get the focus of Dean on stage. So they were falling out at the time. And on this day, they was the last performance of Martin and Lewis, the act. They went back to their separate hotel rooms. And Lewis was feeling guilty. He phoned Dean Martin up in his room. And he was like, you know, Dean, they're going to talk about what we did and what the show was. And they're going to talk about this in history and what made us great. And Dean, I think it was love. We loved each other. And I want you to know tonight, I love you, Dean. And then Dean Martin said, I look at you, I see a check, and put the phone down on him. <laughs> <laughs> Last time they spoke before the reunion. I did a cruise once, Jerry Lewis was the act before me. I missed him, I didn't see him, he left 10 minutes before I arrived. I was within 10 minutes of meeting the old git. But, I was chatting to the, the cruise director about him afterwards. Like, what was he like? What was he like? Was it a, please let him be a git? Please, I mean, you know all these evil stories about it. I, I, I sort of wanted it to be a nasty piece of work. And he was. He got on the ship and um, he was like, up in the, on the pool deck wearing like a sort of velvet tracksuit with JL on it. And like the other old showbiz, the towel around his neck, the Bloody Mary at eight in the morning. And guests are coming up to him. Oh, Mr. Lewis, we just wanted to say we're massive fans. And he's like, I'm eating! I won't talk to anyone like, you know, can't you see I'm drinking something? Not all this stuff. The theatre's not right. He's gone into the theatre for the, 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 he's had a go at all the stuff. Everyone's on eggshells. Cut to the show, the cruise director, the race hilarious was. He's at the back of the room. Oh, this is going to be a bloody disaster. Please welcome Jerry Lewis. He comes out and it's thunder. He does all the classic Jerry Lewis bits. He gets a standing ovation halfway through. Then he he's doing all the, hey, lady, he's falling over. Jerry fell over. Then he turns into Jerry Lewis with the fake lozenge telling sad stories. You know, oh, Dean and I, it was a love story. <laughs> and then he's got the second standing ovation. Then the screen comes down behind him to show the muscular dystrophy kits that he raises money for while he sings, when you walk through a storm, hold your head up. Third standing ovation. You guys keep me young. This is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm doing this. He's crying. And after the show, the cruise director's like, great, we've turned a corner, it'll be fine now for the rest of the cruise. Next morning, he sat at breakfast, the guest comes over, Mr. Lewis, I just want to say, fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> Straight back to being an arsehole again. So yeah, this is the day that they fell out. There you go, 24th of July, a cursed day in show business. The death of Peter Sellers. The death of me here tonight. <laughs> this is a weird show, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm quite an animated performer. I've got to move about to tell my story. Sitting down behind this little mic is killing it dead for me. <laughs> Trust me, I've got a great bit on the Phantom of the Opera. But honestly, <laughs> and this room as well, this sort of weird, baking hot Aztec temple we find ourselves in. It's the hottest night of the year. People listening to this won't get that. They'll be listening to this in the autumn when it's nice and cool and the breeze. We're all melting in here, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. down the side of your chest. And here's one last quick thing, not being a, but Peter Sellers and the colour purple you mentioned. He's, because Peter Sellers is one of my favourite, should have been a part, and he wasn't. He was originally cast as Willy Wonka in, the, in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the film which ended up being Gene Wilder. But it was Peter Sellers until two weeks before Fibber was due to start. And what flipped him out was the colour purple. He turned up for a dress fitting, saw the Wonka coat, which was purple, went mad, smashed up like a table or something and stormed out. I'm not playing this, but gone. And they had to recast it in two weeks and they found Gene Wilder. 
last minute. Gene Wilder was free, and the rest is history. <laughs> and I think it turned out for the best, actually, but I would have loved to have seen Peter Sellers' Willy Wonka. I bet it would have been terrifying. I mean, the stuff of nightmares, he wouldn't have played it nice, would he? The stuff of nightmares, goodness gracious me. Anyway, that's the story of the 24th of July. Thank you very much. Danny Butler. Hulda Crooks was an American mountaineer, affectionately known as Grandma Whitney. Now, she got the nickname because she climbed the tallest mountain in the US, outside of Alaska, Mount Whitney, 23 times between the ages of 65 and 91, and it's over 14,500 feet tall, uh, as well as climbing 97 other peaks during the same period. Now, she's quoted, quoted as saying, early to bed and early to rise, out jogging about 5.30 a.m., jog a mile and walk it back briskly. It takes me 12 minutes to jog the mile and 15 minutes to walk it. Do some upper trunk exercises, work in the yard and walk to the market and work. Now, that was her speaking at the age of 80. 24th of July 1987, at the age of 91, on this day in 87, she reached the top of Mount Fuji, the oldest woman ever to do so. And when she reached the top, she declared, now what did I come up here for again? <laughs> she died in 1997, aged 101, having finally remembered what it was. <laughs> Our fourth guest is Matthew Bayliss. Now, he told me not to say anything about him at the start, but I can tell you that he's very funny. <laughs> he didn't want to be built up, but there you go. I'm slightly plump. Good evening. <laughs> Good evening. Um, well, um, uh, I happen to have a degree in history, which counts for nothing. I can um, remember the phrase ideological displacement. <laughs> I don't know what it means. Uh, but um, but the, the, be, the, be that as it may, my history, uh, the history for me of the 24th of July is very significant because it is in fact my birthday. <laughs> Next week. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. But, uh, but uh, fortunately my, my, my mother was in labour for a very, very long time. So <laughs> We can, we can say it probably starts from the 24th. And, uh, uh, but anyway, so th this is really genuinely about, about me. This is, this is all about me for the next five minutes. I, I mean, I, I suppose the important things I would say is, uh, as you as you deal with the, the obvious elephant in the room, uh, I am indeed rather posh. It's <laughs> one of those things. I'm fine about it. But sometimes in the really grotty rooms we get to play, yeah. Um, uh, people will shout out. One, one time, this chap shouted out, you, you up there, you're nothing but a middle-class tosser. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I, I was shocked and appalled as well. I'm, of course, upper middle class. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I, mean, I have certain things in common with working-class people, so I, I'll do fine with the front row here, really. Um, there, we, we, uh, for one thing, I actually have a sofa in my front garden. Admittedly, it is in the sun house. Next to the swimming pool. In Barbados. <laughs> Uh, I have other things in common with working class people. I, I, I have, or to use a politically correct term, uh, people of restricted taste, um, which is that um, I, I also have uh, rather a lot of children. I have six children. Yeah, yeah. Some ooze, I know. And it's a ridiculous number, really, isn't it? We sort of carried on having kids and hope that one day we get one that we liked. But, uh, uh, <laughs> Some of them, um, I, I do have one whose birthday is the 24th of April, so there is a suspicion that might be conceived. Yeah, just bring it back, bring it back. <laughs> so so uh, I'm sure lots of you have got kids. Um, Hopefully not you. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you, might, you might well have children, I'm sure. What's your name? Adrian, Adrian. Uh, do you have children, Adrian? No. Okay. So, so fair enough. I mean, you do look the sort of man who might well have children. 
just wouldn't be allowed to see them. Um, but, 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 but Adrian, you're, you're, you're most, most, most welcome here. So, so, so children, I mean, it's, it's marvellous having, uh, having children, it's marvellous being me. Um, but the, the whole history thing, as I say, very, very little that, uh, that, that I remember from, uh, from, from the school days. Um, I will, of course, be 55 uh, on my birthday, which, uh, which worries me a little bit because we're all linking back to, uh, to Peter Sellers again. So, uh, <laughs> is there a doctor in the house? <laughs> um, uh, a few years older, therefore, than Jennifer Lopez, but with a slightly larger bottom. <laughs> so, um, so, any questions? Any, any questions on July the 24th? You haven't come prepared, have you? You, haven't come prepared. you just came expecting to be lectured to, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy, happy to lecture to anybody. Um, so what else should we talk about? Um, uh, I, I have a mother who wasn't born on the 24th of July. Another useful fact. We should accept that, that the 24th of July is... The fact that we're here on the 24th of July is, is not really a fact at all. It isn't a fact. It's, uh, it's got religious bias. And the date is not even correct. The religious bias is that we're basing that on the birth of Jesus Christ. So why should it be done based on based on that? Um, and in fact, we're basing it on the wrong birth of Jesus Christ. Twenty uh, fourth of July, two thousand and nineteen. Well, Jesus was born in AD four or AD six, depending on who you talk to. So, so we've got that all completely wrong. So, uh, should we get into the uh, into the details of what is a fact? Yes, let's. Uh, should we get into the details of what is history? Hell no. <laughs> no so, um, so, so we are here on a peculiar day in the middle of what is the hottest day, um, but hang on, how are we measuring the hottest day? I mean, again, we've got this peculiarity of on the hottest day of this year, we're measuring it in Celsius or Fahrenheit? Celsius. Celsius, you reckon? Oh, shall we, shall we do this like Panto? All those who think we're measuring it in Celsius. Very disappointing. And those for Fahrenheit? Yeah. <laughs> Slightly odd man in the front row. <laughs> and only him. I'm disappointed because I thought we would have a proper cheer. All those who feel we should measure it in, oh, sticky! Yay! <laughs> it's basically the same person over there. The middle, so he's very happy with that. So um, that's that's all I have to say about me. Um, I usually talk about me for for hours, but um, um, <laughs> yeah, that will probably do, won't it? So thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Somewhere the remit for the show got lost in the post. Was, um, <laughs> I didn't know doing your act was an option. Bloody <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't know. Who's seen Flash Gordon? I mean, <laughs> so who is on poppers here? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, the, the second half of the show might be on the safer ground here, which is uh, where we start to talk about the history of Guildford. So, I live in Fife. I'm from the other end of the country. I know very little about Guildford. What I found out is very much what's online. But I'm hoping the panel can help. Um, expand on some of the subjects that I'm going to introduce, some of the uh, the factoids, etc. So let's just launch into that. And obviously, if you feel like I'm saying something uh, awry, please do shout out and correct me. But anyway, so although, as already mentioned, the town is 27 miles away from London, it's officially part of the southwestern tip of the Greater London built-up area. Guildford House on the High Street, built in 1660, is now a museum and art gallery with rotating exhibitions, uh, which is great for Guildford. In my hometown, the nearest equivalent is our kebab shop. <laughs> uh, the remains of what is believed to be the oldest synagogue in Western Europe were found under the High Street. Under the High Street? 
Has anyone heard this before? It seems like it's, uh, it's you sort new of, to the panel. So. Clear it out of the way rather than sort of build over it. Do you know what I mean? The practical <laughs> stuff. Maybe, maybe get that rubble out of it. Not just his, that history. Must have been doing some digging. Yeah. Must have been doing some yeah. digging. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Uh, next fact, sorry then. A first written reference to cricket appears in a 16th century court case involving the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. The match itself was finally abandoned as a draw sometime in the early 17th century. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, probably safer ground then, Guildford Castle. Yeah, there's probably a lot to say about Guildford Castle. So, Guildford was the location of the Royal Mint from 978 until partway through the reign of William the Conqueror, when the Conquering King found it in a draw and ate it. <laughs> After eight? Yes. <laughs> After 978, actually. Yes. William the Conqueror had the castle built in the classic Norman style. The castle keep still stands because it was the only section not built in the classic Norman wisdom style. Dressed fell over. So what we've got, that thing on the hill, is not the, that's the keep? That is the key. Yes. Yeah, the yes. actual castle castle. Castle's gone. Castle's much bigger, but not there yet. So we've got a snide castle. We have got Castle Street. But they've advertised that as a castle. And it's not, it's a keep. Yeah, so, so in the 1130s a keep was built, and most likely used as a private apartment for the king. And now used as a tourist draw and called a castle. Yes. <laughs> Just like Arthur Daly's down the bottom of the hill. Oh, it's a castle, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Delboy's castle. Well, Nick we'll call it a castle, do it up. The, the it's I a keep, The down. ivy that's now there is, is known as Castle View. And that can only be Castle View because they've knocked down the castle, so there's a view. <laughs> <laughs> of a keep. Of a keep. So now it's keep view. Castle view of a keep. <laughs> so in the estate agents in the 1100s, what the schedule says was that the ground floor was windowless, and on the first floor there was a main chamber, a chapel, and wardrobe with latrine. A wardrobe with a latrine? Do you have a wardrobe with a latrine? We've, we've all done that. Yes. Yeah. After our nitrate. One too many. Yes. What is this animal nitrate thing? Though? I don't know. <laughs> Peter Sellers liked it apparently. So a second floor was added shortly afterwards, and that contained a two-seater latrine. In the wardrobe. A latrine made for two, how romantic. Come to my castle, my darling. I've got a latrine for two. This ain't a castle, it's a keep. Never mind that, there's a latrine for two. You'll be really cuddling, have a cuddle at the same time. What a beautiful notion that is. Hang on, I can't cuddle, I'm going to wipe. <laughs> Don't cuddle that hand. <laughs> a medieval latrine for two as well. The little guy with the bucket underneath waiting. <laughs> <laughs> little factoid here was a major purpose of Norman Castle building was to overawe the conquered population. And then the factoid was it had £26 spent on it in 1173. I mean, even in today's money, that can't be very much, can it? £26. What, spent so, on doing what? Doing on, the castle? I'm doing at the castle. No wonder it fell down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This needs a supporting wall put in. What's the budget? 26 quid. Right, we'll get some wood. That'll, do it. That'll stay up forever. Don't worry about falling down. At least the keep's solid. Always makes me laugh there's a castle in Northumberland whenever I drive past it. Because on the outside it has a bird room. The castle <laughs> So I just find it highly amusing. Obviously, don't, don't need one here, you can just walk straight in. Yeah. There's nothing to nick. <laughs> not even a castle. Except the latrines. Yeah. Double latrines. Yeah. I want a double latrine now, I can't rest. I have to see what that's like. So it was uh, 1400s when the castle was no longer needed and was left to fall into disrepair. So uh, 
that's been the one there, hasn't it? So that's probably why there isn't much left. Uh, Guildford Cathedral then. So although Guildford has a cathedral, this is not a city. In 2002, apparently you applied for city status, but it was turned down. Why was it turned down? What was wrong with the place? I mean, Ah, one of those things. So Who got it? They have to be. I like that sort of. Oh, maybe it's cute. It's like a boaty but boat face kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't have to believe the audience member because he looks very learned. <laughs> <laughs> he has glasses and a beard. Does it for me? <laughs> so what? They applied for it and they said no, and someone else got it. Someone else got someone it. Someone more worthy. There was a more, there was a cathedral that was more worthy than yeah. Guildford Cathedral, which is huge. It's not a cathedral, it's a keep. No, it's not a castle. We've moved on, we've moved on. So the cathedral... That's why I didn't get it. You keep putting keep on the form. It's a, it's a cathedral. We can't verify keeps. The cathedral's relatively modern, built between 1936 and 1961, and there was a gap for the Second World War when the building was temporarily halted. There was a buy-brick scheme in the 1950s, and there were 200,000 people contributed to the construction fund as a result. Each brick cost uh, two and six. Does it, anyone in the audience yes. have, have that? On oh, them. oh, brilliant! Yeah, have that on them. And uh, <laughs> and you could these guys down here. That <laughs> and you could sign your own brick. That's true. Yeah. Did you do that? Yes, it's true. So does that mean you can see your signature? No. Or is it is it hidden? In chalk. Oh, oh. oh. That's, how, that's how they get you. No. That's how voted works. First, first, first time it rains, that's gone. Yeah. 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 Supply and demand. So was that this, the, also the case with the Queen, with Elizabeth II and Prince Philip, because they both signed bricks. So I guess that wasn't in short, was it? No, no one knows. No one knows. Isn't Guildford the only place that was the first place to get bombed by air? Is that right? I don't know what I'm asking you. There was only one guy that put his hand up that was a history fan. <laughs> from uh, the hotel? In the from the, you know, in the war, it was, it was the first place to have a bomb dropped on it by air, by the air. From the Zeppelin, then? Yeah. Really? Yeah. In the war. And was it a hit, does it matter? Uh, a, a5, so miss. Oh. No. <laughs> didn't hit the castle, but leave the keep. <laughs> 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 it's about 20 ducks. Yeah. 20 ducks. Oh, no, that's right. Blew the chalk off the bricks. <laughs> it seems what is particularly famous about Guildford Cathedral is that parts of the film The Omen was filmed there. Yeah. So yeah. as a young boy travelling with his parents, he seems happy enough, and then suddenly he spots the spire of Guildford Cathedral and he flips, he's thrown into a rage, foams at the mouth, and tries to bite his mum. So when a remake of the film was made in 2006, the cathedral's dean, Victor Stock, described it was a struggle for the cathedral's staff to get locals to visit after the film. Because uh, they were scared of the place. It is a creepy scene. Yeah. It's that drive up. I did, I did it. My friend Meg came to stay with me. And I was showing her around Guildford. This is only about three weeks ago. We did the drive up to the cathedral. And it was literally like recreating that scene. I had the music playing on the kind of <laughs> just the soundtrack. Bum, 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 bum. She's sitting next to me. No, daddy, no! I'm driving up to it. Keep driving, keep driving. Turning around and back. So is it, is it I do these things to amuse myself. Sorry, is it obvious from the film then that it is Guildford Cathedral? Oh, it's a long oh, shot. Yeah, he yeah, drives yeah, up yeah, to yeah, it. You okay, see so it getting bigger and bigger. So then they turn around and go back down again because. Damien's flipping out for he don't want to go in. 
What was it being the Antichrist? A, a, a little thing happened to me when I was younger, like related to that completely, was that um, uh, when the old Odin used to be up the top of town, I don't think it is there anymore, um, I, I creaked in with my friends under age and we went to see The Exorcist. And, and I really was underage. I don't even know how I got in. I was about 13. And um, so for the first hour, we're going, oh, yeah, this is rubbish, this is rubbish, this is rubbish. And the next, like, the rest of the time, it was like, ah! We was like, I completely couldn't look, couldn't listen. It was the most horrific thing I'd ever seen. And so I went home. I didn't sleep for six months. And then roll on lots of years, lots of years. I never saw a horror film. I was working doing um, a summer season up in... Um, up in Scarborough, and we lived in a place in, in Filey. So, so like we shared a house. There was like six of us, like in our company. And so one day I'd come come in like later on in the afternoon, and um, like they they was watching a show in the afternoon because we used to do performances in the evening. So I got, they come in. They went, oh, we're watching a show. And I, and I said, oh, what is it? They said, oh, it's The Omen. I went, oh no no no, I'm, I'm not watching any any kind of horror, you know, movies or whatever. And they went, oh, don't be stupid. Sit down, sit down. So I went, oh, all right then. So I sat down. I'm watching this Omen. I thought, oh, this is fine. And then the next minute I see this, like the cars going up the hill to Guildford Cathedral. And I went, oh no, that's it. And I never, ever, from that day to this, I've never watched any kind of horror film. Because I just thought, oh my God, the devil's after me again. You know, like, <laughs> well, the, the good news is another film was filmed at the Guildford Cathedral, which was Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh. Was it? No. <laughs> <laughs> no Colin, Colin, Colin Firth has filmed it here in Guildford. Colin Firth. Colin Firth. He's been here. Don't know if he's been here yet. Is he? Ladies moistening in the audience. Yeah. <laughs> Two down there. What was the film? I can't remember. I didn't come laden with facts, Danny. <laughs> Just the, the Jennifer Lopez. Was, I wore that out at the beginning. But what I'm surprised did uh, I'm surprised nothing happened. But isn't the Omen one of the most cursed? Loads have been on the set. The Exorcist. Yeah. The Exorcist yeah. as well. Yeah. The Omen is one of the most cursed yeah. films to be. The, the to be weirdest filmed. one being the plane crash story that uh, a plane crashed part of the film and it hit a car it sort of went over, I get the details of this wrong because this is memory but I believe it sort of went past the edge of the runway into the, the road it hit a car and then when the car stopped its speedometer said 666 Ooh, and the, yeah the papers were all over that <laughs> you know but the, the director yeah. Richard Donner was saying it's one of those weird things like if you make a happy film all you remember is the happy memories <laughs> and because it was a horror film like about because of what it was about the tiniest thing, like a light bulb went, oh, it's the curse of the omen. Yeah. Like, like people were just looking for things to be spooked about when they were making it. Did There's the, loads um, of creepy stories. Did the car flip over? It might have been 999. <laughs> 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 Not so bad then. <laughs> oh, if the car flipped over, it could have been the Duke of Edinburgh. <laughs> oh, you're on dodgy ground in Guildford, mate, with the Royals. They don't like it if you knock them. <laughs> on the castle. It's a keeper. It's a keeper. It's a Okay. Happy news on cinema, though. I'm reliably informed by a friend of mine that uh, Roger Moore used to go to the cinema. Roger Moore and, uh, and also Alvin Stardust, but I'm not sure it was at this the very same time. <laughs> Alvin Stardust would ask for tickets. Are there any Stardust family members in tonight? I <laughs> might not be his real name, but, um, but Roger Moore was, was offered tickets but declined and said he was doing perfectly well at the moment if he paid for himself. What a gent! Factoid for you. May not be true. Yeah, Roger Moore said that um, when he visited Guildford, he was frightened out of his wits because obviously Guildford is classed as one of the scariest places in the United Kingdom. Why? <laughs> the Omen. 
come back next week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, it's, oh, I, I think because... Haunted buildings. Yeah, there's there's a, they, they, the, the amount of, I don't know, they, they do ghost tours here. Um, so I can put you in contact with one of them. We can go together. We can, we can all go. After, what are you all doing later? We can all go. Uh, but yeah, Roger Moore said it. Uh, there was an incident that happened here. Don't quite me on what it was. <laughs> Only goes so far. And he said it frightened him out of his wits. And he never came back, which is probably why he refused cinema tickets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know for my tickets. I'm too scared. <laughs> Good. I think I need to speak to the festival about their array of experts for this panel. So some of the famous people associated with Guildford. So the first one's P.G. Woodhouse, author and humorist. He was born prematurely in Guildford in 1881 while his mother was visiting her sister in the town. Now he was named after his godfather, Pelham George von Donop, who was a British army officer in the Royal Engineers and later Chief Inspector officer of the railways. I'm sorry to stop you there, but how is that named after? <laughs> one's Woodhouse and one's Von Richter. The Pelham George, it presumably is the PG. Oh, right. And how does Von drop a British Army officer during the Von Richter? The world's worst spy! It's slightly suspicious, isn't it? What's your name, mate? Von Drop! <laughs> you German? Nein! Well, well, no, but hang on. But this, this guy, he represented the Royal Engineers at the Association of Football, appeared in two FA Cup finals, and made two appearances for the England national team. Zeke cover, mate. Oh, right. You reckon it was all the rules? Play for British football. You have to commit. Yeah, yeah. Not just going halfway. Possibly. PG hated his real name, but using his initials turned out to be inspirational, as it ended up being seen on the back of just about every humorous family-friendly DVD film. What's that noise? Uh, as well as many box sets of tea bags. <laughs> okay, second person then, uh, the Reverend Charles Lutvig Dodgson. Who's that then? You're talking about famous people here, are you? <laughs> they know you don't. Everyone knows Reverend Charles Lutvig Dodgson. Lewis Carroll. Lewis Carroll. Correct. Yes. So he first. <laughs> glad to have you tonight. He first visited in 1868, age 36. He was looking for a house for his unmarried sisters after their father had died, so he became like head of the household. Um, but it's not known why they considered moving to Guildford, because there was no obvious connection. Uh, he was already the famous author of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, which had been published three years earlier under the name of Lewis Carroll. So they moved into a house called the Chestnuts, which was near the castle ruins and the present museum building. And the Reverend himself didn't live there, although he did often visit. Now, Lewis Carroll was a great walker, even towards the end of his life. He would walk for 20 or more miles. And when in Guildford, he was fond of tramping over the downs. And this factoid is he thought nothing of a walk to Farnham across the hog's back. Which means nothing to me, but does that sound like hey, a walk? Yeah, down there. <laughs> oh, hog's back fans. So it was on one of those walks in July 1875 that, that the last line of his nonsense masterpiece, The Hunting of the Snark, came into his head. And then he kind of wrote the rest from there onwards. And he was just high on drugs. Poppers, was it? Yeah. Apple nitrates. <laughs> <Animal, animal laughs> it's a local speciality, apparently. He wrote Through the Looking Glass while living in Guildford, and he's buried here in a cemetery on the mount. Is the house still in? The chestnuts, I believe, is, yes. And um, my, my old drama teacher, a lovely, beautiful lady called June Cooper, who used to have a drama school at Portsmouth Road, I can't remember, I was trying to think then what the name of her building was called, 
Um, but she, in the back of her garden, for some reason, I don't know why, and I did try and look it up, she had a little memorial stone to Lewis Carroll in her back garden. Oh. Don't know why, but just saying. Yeah. Did she live in the chestnuts? No, she didn't. It was, a, it, was another, it was another nice name. I can't remember what, it was, what, what our school was called now. It was up the Portsmouth Road on the right-hand side. Would you like to make up a name? <laughs> the cherry tree. Thank no. you very much. Oh, <laughs> yeah. cherry tree. Got the idea. We'll move on then. So Alan Turing, new face of the 50 pound yeah. note he's going to be. He lived in Guildford. So he was the famous code breaker and mathematician and uh, is gradually being rehabilitated. So Turing was the second son of an Indian colonial family who later settled in Guildford. Turing attended Sherburn School in Dorset where he shared cl classes with John, I don't know how you say this, Halliley, who would later become known as the actor John Le Maturier. Shared, oh. shared classes with him. So Alan Turing's parents lived at number 8 Ennismore Avenue, mm -hmm. which is apparently now number 22. Don't quite know how that works. Does, does anybody here live at number 22? Or, no? Okay. On Ennismore Avenue. Does anyone here live at the Chestnuts? Or the Cherry Tree? Or the Keen one? Does anyone live at the Keen? Has anyone seen the Omen? <laughs> Yay! Anyone seen the cathedral? Oh my god! Uh, anyway, sorry, back to Alan Turing. Do I see my car keys? No. <laughs> <laughs> it is guessing like that, yes. So, Alan Turing, so yes, his parents lived at uh, what is now number 22 in Ismore Avenue after his father retired in 1927. Although away at school for long periods, Guildford gave Alan his first proper home and the family would go for long walks in Stoke Park and on the North Downs. So Alan developed an interest in astronomy, and from his Guildford home he spent hours stargazing and um, drawing the night sky, so presumably you get a good view of the night sky. It's a cracking yeah. one, yeah. Alan, cracking skies in Guildford. Yeah, excellent. Even, Especially last uh, night. I can say last yeah. night you wouldn't have yeah. done, you'd have seen lots of lightning. But Alan continued to visit the family home while he was at university. Alan Turing's brother John, he married Joan Humphreys, not John Humphreys, at, <laughs> uh, at Stoke Church in Guildford in 1934, and the couple lived in Jenner Road and Alan would often visit them there. Yeah. We're learning. Yes, yeah, yeah. well that's part of the show. Yeah. We're learning from the audience it seems, rather than them learning from us. So anyway. I mean, uh, if we were talking about Alvin Stardust, I've got loads. <laughs> well, let's, let's really have bad. a short break and talk about Alvin. I've got a great bit about Brian Blessed. <laughs> he performs in Guildford? No, he's not, unfortunately. He, he has performed. He's performed here, yeah. I mean, that's close like, enough. I mean, I, I came here on the basis that it's not my birthday. So, uh, <laughs> I came here because I went out and on a bike train. <laughs> yes, yes. Walked through the wrong door, it seems. So, uh, Alan's parents, they separated at the beginning of the war, sadly, but his father, Julius, although he relocated to London, his mother, Ethel, initially moved to Epsom Road and then to South Hill, following her husband's death in 1947. Alan visited his mother there. She recalls in his biography that they spent many hours wandering around Guildford together talking about his work projects. So I'm sure Guildford, it seems, was, was a great inspiration in terms of looking at the night sky, talking about things, uh, going for walks, etc. Alan's last visit to Guildford was for Christmas 1953, six months before he sadly died. When you say his parents separated at the start of the war, was it Ethel von Richthofen? <laughs> no, no, I'm just, just wondering if that was the reason they, in one English, one, uh, one German. Sorry, do carry on. <laughs> separated at the start of the war. Yes, I desperately need some poppers now. <laughs> I'm not a guy. Yes. <laughs> um, anything you've pre-prepared that you want to throw out? Well, I just say.
had some funny little facts. One of them was about the dragons in West Clandon. I don't know if you've ever heard about this tale, but apparently there used to be um, there used to be dragons in West Clandon. Whether they're mythical or not, we don't know. And uh, but but uh, <laughs> did, did you live back in the old ages? No, maybe a fossils or some some evidence of real dragons in Take the spirits of Boris Johnson. Just believe it will yeah, happen. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> so, there was a soldier and his dog, and they used to go out and slay the dragons in West Clandon. Now I, I'm thinking it's a little bit cheeky mm. because that actually preceded Game of Thrones. Mm. And I'm thinking they might have stolen some of their ideas yeah. from the, the, the soldier and his dog in West Clandon. Wouldn't have worked yeah. as well in yeah. Clandon, though, would it? As I say. <laughs> Guildford's Game of Keep. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and then there was another one that was quite interesting. Apparently, there was a magic pike that um, predicted greatness for a, a certain mother. It's and true. It's true. It is, it is true. <laughs> and, and her son, and she was a cloth maker. And this pike predicted greatness for her son. And her son, I don't know if you know this or not. <laughs> this is true. Why does that it, work? It, <laughs> Are we talking about a fish? The great pike, yeah. He yeah. he sticks his head up. Morning! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Anything I, to say? Your boy's destined for greatness! And that castle won't last! Well, she was a cloth maker and her son turned out to be George Abbott and also the Archbishop of Canterbury. So I, I'm thinking that back in the day, you know, was actually the mother on poppers or was she on animal night chase? Did she hallucinate? What's that you say? Was he like, did he turn up at her store and say, you know, cut me some cloth and I'll do you a deal and I'll get, give you some greatness and some good news for your son? The pike turned up in a shop knocking on the door about there's a pike stand in there. Hello, give me some water. Give me some water. We can take away tonight that you should always listen to a pike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mike. I have a useful fact for you. Um, the Stranglers, band who first performed here, were originally known as the Guildford Stranglers. Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they thought that's not too cool to be known as the Guildford Stranglers. <laughs> In the same way as um, gangster rapper Tupac Shakar. <laughs> he was not known as gangster rapper, rapper Tupac Shaft and Shaft from Peter. Uh, no, no, it just does, does, doesn't work, doesn't work, so you've got to, got to hide if you want to be cool. And did they go straight from the Guildford Stranglers to the Stranglers, or did they go via, like, the Basingstoke No, they went to Woking Stranglers. Change training Woking. What would be uh, old Basingstoke, yeah. The jam were from Woking. Yeah, yeah. They were. Yeah, 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 and the, um, Mrs. White, my English teacher, she was the auntie of Bruce Foxton, actually, and she was very, um, how can I put it, she was very typical, you know, like, twin set and pearls, lovely white, you know, um, like font hair, <laughs> lovely, lovely teacher. And then one day she started literally turning up, coming to school with, like, jam and all anarchy kind of badges on and the vapours and all that. And then um, then one day, like, she, she'd come in with a Mohican <laughs> and then we never saw her again. <laughs> Mrs White, she was a fantastic English teacher. She, ne she never taught us any English because we just asked about the jam and the vapours. So we had a great time. Did she tell you stories about pikes? <laughs> Just no, obviously not. We did have a Mr. Pike, one of our teachers. <laughs> it, was, it was geography. I had a, a headmaster called Mr. Pike. It was on the same school. Oh, could have been the same man. Weird bugger. Yeah, yes, Pike. Yeah, 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 he could have moved from, He was from, mental. From uh, um, 
Bishop Rindock to your yes, school. Yes, used to wear a bolt, yeah. a bolter hat yeah, on a summer's him. day, and yeah. like really, and the cane as well. Yeah, it like sounds the, right. It was the end of that, and he was yeah. he, he, all he knew was quick with that stick. <laughs> it was like the last two years of caning that rotten bastard. He'd get it out in assemblies and shout at the kids and show them it every assembly. That, that's what's waiting for you if you cheat me. Kids all sitting there traumatized for life. <laughs> Mr. Pike. Mr. Pike. Long gone now. God bless him, I'd oh. imagine, but. Anyone else go to Horsell School and know Mr. Pike? <laughs> yeah, let's open it now. Or see a V and know Mr. Pike. Yeah. Is there a collective healing now about Mr. Pike and what he did to us? I have written down here Roger Black Athlete. Um, oh, sorry, Roger Black Athlete. Um, this is all together. Does he live in Guildford? He did live in Guildford, but not anymore. That's right. Well, you wrote it down. I'm surprised you wrote it down. He's clearly run away. Um, somebody, somebody mentioned Roger Black Athlete. That was useful, wasn't it? <laughs> the hours on stuck. So my last factoid was about someone called Ford Prefect, a character in Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He claimed to be an out-of-work actor from Guildford. Yes. Is that something you can relate to? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Suddenly the hour is up. It's been a, it's been surreal. Can, can I just um, say oh, one no, thing? No, the hour's just, not up. Just related to today. Um, just one of these interesting facts. There is actually, um, there's a famous flying pig at Whitmore House, and apparently Whitmore, Whitmore it's House it's is, is, is um, you know, all the mythical creatures. Yeah, it, it was. It's near Sutton Place where John Paul Getty lived. Lived, and apparently, if you ever see him flying by, he has got a striking but animal-like resemblance to Boris Johnson. You killed him with the Boris Johnson bit. Everywhere. They were on your side there with the pig. They were like, we believe, and then you went Boris Johnson. They went, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, not having that. Yeah. Yeah. Theresa May is now in history. Yeah. So now you all want to talk. <laughs> yes. In history, today is the day that Boris Johnson became prime minister. So tomorrow is going to be history. Yes. Yes, as I just said, well, Theresa May's history now, and Boris oh, Johnson probably will be history before too long. Talking so, cycle, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Can you thank tonight's guest? So we had Sam Say, one more thing to finish the show on about 24th of July. So Simon or Simon Bolivar. Venezuelan commander and second president of Venezuela was born on this day in 1783 and he is quoted as saying the three greatest fools of history have been Jesus Christ, Don Quixote and me. Oh. That's it. Thank you. Thanks very much for coming on.